Hi, I'm Harut Markarian, and this is Mobility and Inclusion, the show where we share the powerful stories of people with disabilities and daring entrepreneurs making waves in our world. From technological innovations to best practices in business, we'll learn what it really means to live in an inclusive and universally designed environment. Welcome to a new episode of Mobility and Inclusion. I am Harut Markarian, and with me today, I have an entrepreneur, an educator, and a philanthropist who has devoted her life to bettering the lives of children and persons with disabilities, Zuli Alvarado. Zuli was the executive assistant of Chicago's first African-American mayor, Harold Washington, and she was also the assistant commissioner of aviation. How about that? Zuli served on the boards of uh, Access Living Centers for Independent Living and the Chicago Foundation for Women. She currently serves on the advisory board of Chicago Community Trust Disability Fund and is a proud member of ADA 25 Advancing Leadership. Zuli's accomplishments were recognized in 2011 when named by Chicago Magazine as a Chicagoan of the Year. Well, Zuli, Chicagoan of the Year, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here with you and uh, looking forward to our conversation. Absolutely. Likewise, I'm looking forward to uh, let's start by uh, talking about the cultural exchange opportunities that you created part of your, your philanthropic nonprofit. What was the program and who was it for? Well, primarily, one of the things that I've always said, having been born in South America and Ecuador, uh, connecting with my roots. Uh, I, was, I grew up in the U.S. and uh, Chicago, in the Midwest, and uh, I wanted to reconnect uh, again to Latin America, the Latin American culture, and the best way to do it was to go back to my birth country, reconnect with my family, my biological family, and just getting to know them, and uh, interesting enough that I ended up going to the village where I was born, and so it really started from the very from the ground up, shall we say. And then from there, I just saw that, hey, my, my family and friends in the North need to also come and see where I was born in this and vice versa. So that began the, the what I call the cultural exchange, the professional exchange that really uh, is not just about us always traveling south and giving to the to individuals that we always think that they need so much. But how about also how have them come to learn from us as well up north and find a way uh, to be able to make that happen. And so I find that through health and education are the best means to be able to do that. Absolutely. Cannot agree with you more. If you take education away from people, that's when uh, the chaos really happens. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so you were also an entrepreneur. You started several things by yourself, uh, but uh, mainly I want to point out that you had you started a boutique-style clothing business as well as fashionable footwear for you know for the hard-to-fit feet. Yes, uh, um, that's that's very impressive. So, are you still in that business? No. Uh, one of the things that I discovered as a as a person, as a woman with a disability. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
uh, I had to change careers numerous times or professions, shall we say, because of the nature of my disability. Disability sometimes uh, has a way of tricking one's body as one ages and as uh, things change, one has to accommodate. And that's what I discovered. I started my profession uh, early as a speech and language pathologist and then moved on that I found that my voice was just not strong because of my respiratory issues. And uh, so that shifted me. I did that for a few years and then moved on. So when you asked me about fashion design, I had, that was a childhood dream. Uh, I, my disability had gotten really bad and uh, came to a period of time that it pretty much came close to giving up uh, the, due to chronic pain and weakness and so forth. So that once I found the right treatment or right, the medical treatment uh, through natural and Western, uh, Eastern and Western medicine that I was given a new opportunity for life. And so the question came for me came, what am I going to do now that I have another chance, you know, at life for another thing to do? It's like I had given up and here I am all over again. What do I do? And so I decided that I wanted to have fun and be using my creativity. And that's when I pursued, I thought it's like, what did I always want to do? Fashion. And I love, you know, dressing up. I love colors. I love textures. And I thought, well, I love sewing and I love handwork. I love couture. So I started that way. But then I asked myself, I really want to make a difference in other people's lives. It's not just about always about the money and the fame and fortune. It's more about what, how can I make a difference and be happy at the same time? So what was, so I looked at, me is like, what have I been missing in terms that what did I need? My the difficulties for me had always been to get footwear, proper footwear, to always been having to have them made, but in the Latin America, the same style, the same orthopedic, same, you know, black shoes that I felt like as a female, as a woman, I was always dressing from my neck to my knees. But then because of my leg discrepancies, the different size feet, it's just like I did not feel fashionable, beautiful, and so on. So that's, hey, this is an opportunity that I want shoes. I want beautiful red shoes. And so it was came to do runway because I had to do my, I went to fashion school. I wanted to start again from, from scratch. I went to design school and I thought, well, let me, I have the show to do, do runway. So my whole collection, I wanted to do head to toe. And that was the starting. I thought, well, I don't know how, the school didn't teach me how to make shoes, but I saw, found someone that would teach me how to make shoes. And I said, I want to make my own shoes that when I'm called to runway, I will have my pretty beautiful red shoes. And that was the beginning so that I learned how to make them, custom making. I figured I want to specialize because just like myself having difficulties in finding red shoes or pretty shoes, beautiful, fashionable shoes, there are other people. And sure enough, I had people from all over different parts of the world, from the Philippines. I was on the cover of the magazine in Japan. I, I was hired by some of the NBA players uh, because, yes, they could find shoes for the court, but they could not find shoes, fashionable shoes, and their big size feet. And I even did shoes for the men at the Guinness Book of the largest feet in the Guinness Book of Records at that time. So I was excited because he could not get shoes. So here I am measuring his large feet and my arm, his feet were bigger than my arms. So it was a uh, fantastic because I got, got to use my creativity. I got to make a difference uh, in other people's lives. And I gave them beauty and feel good about, uh, about their feet instead of hiding 
uh, our feet all the time. Uh, people with hammer toes, people with bunions and so on, it's, there's another issue as one uh, ages. So, but again, like I said, I had to quit because 13 years later, I found my hands were giving, giving out, uh, my body couldn't do it. So I had to switch again. So that entrepreneurial mindset had always, has always have to be there because of the nature of my disability. I had to go with the flowing. I was one of those people that I love my independence. I love my freedom. And I just didn't feel that government, being dependent on government, solely on government was not the way I wanted to go. Well, that's, you know, you said a lot of things that I wanted to, I, I want to highlight really. First, knowing what you really wanted, what your passion was and going after that, right? Yes. And making yes. yourself happy first and then impacting other people's lives. And yes. it's just, it just a great example of what a fulfilled individual uh, you can become once you follow your dreams and you really know what you want. Um, that's Definitely, it must. It, you must feel that passion as well. It must. Absolutely, it's important. And for everyone, or, or uh, everyone aspiring to be an entrepreneur, here's a, a great example of what an entrepreneurship requires. It requires a specific mindset. That's yes. like really, you know, vividly described. Uh, describe us. It's amazing. Like you're. Awesome. Like the, the, the fact that you got in touch with NBA players, you were on the cover of a Japanese magazine, you know, <laughs> your passion really took you around the world. Yes, 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 it definitely did. And having done that with the shoes, then, like I said, I had to switch. And it's, I had always been one for human rights, as I said, culture. Uh, well, how can we make a difference? Particularly, so we always hear about poverty, people living in poverty. And it's like, how can we shift that conversation? How can we shift? And so it, the shoes, because of the design and then my desire to always be uh, available to others that, like you said, it took me to other parts of the world, including China. I had never imagined my going to China or to Turkey to address the United Nations. And that was also part of the shifting that I had to make. Um, because like I said, there's something that we always have to look at. The world or life gives us something and we have to from lemon, you know, take the lemons and turn into lemonade. And mm -hmm. I think that that's one of the things that I had to do with my disability. You know, I had been wanting to be like everybody else, but my disability was always there and popping up from time to time to say, you know, pay attention to me, you know, don't hide me, speak about me. And so that caused me to now totally focus on disability issues. And that's where I am right now. Yep, and that's why that's why we're here together on mobility and inclusion uh, to talk about various disability topics and how we can impact people's lives. Uh, yes, the yes. other the other thing you uh, mentioned, um, not depending on the government, right? Yes. Because we both know that disability checks are, you know, basically conditioning you to live in poverty, right? Correct. And you didn't you didn't want that, and I I have I have had several other interviews where people came out and said. Um, you know, basically I'm not allowed to have more than $2,000 in my checking account, right? And so I'm like, and if you're living in California, forget about the rest, I'm, I'm in California right now and the person who said this to me also lives in California. I'm like, how are you living on $2,000 a month? Because that's, that blows my mind, it's impossible, nearly impossible, you know? 
Yes, yes, definitely. And it, that's and to get two thousand dollars. That's a lot for some in other states in other areas that they, they get what six hundred or eight hundred dollars. And then you're not exactly you're not supposed to have any more. And then you're supposed to use disabled account and can't work because then you get you lose what you most essential, and that's your your Medicaid or Medicare, particularly mm -hmm. Medicare. Uh, and with disability, we know that the equipment is so costly, and this is how many of the companies make their dollars through this population. And to have one wheelchair for just for mobility, you know, it's upper than six, seven thousand dollars. That's just the very basic, and that's yeah. not like wells and whistles or electric or any other power that some people need. And then plus everything else that that accompanies with that, and so it's really challenging. So, um, uh, and will become more so. And now when we look at the technologies, you know, we're, we're forced to go into, you know, because of what happened in 2019, 2020, in 2020, in particular with the pandemic, and we're still like technology, that just a basic computer. A lot of people in the area where I live here in Indiana uh, do, do not have a, a computer. More than 50% of the population uh, do not have a computer. So we're talking about they're, they're set behind even more so with education education. This is just general education. But when we talk about children with disabilities, and this is the battle that I constantly fight, is like the, the childhood child with disabilities right now are not getting, you know, the, what they're, they're doing, what they need, meeting their needs. And so their lives are just going to go really down for years and years to come. Uh, so, and that is very painful uh, to, to see. And so to live, continue to depend on, on government, and I really encourage parents to work Work with their children, their child now, their youth to motivate them. Do not allow whether they're quadriplegic, paraplegic, for you know to to become the victim in any sense of the word or be dependent on government because that's not route to go. There are so uh, many ways. There are so many ways that we can work nowadays. It's just a better matter of asking uh, for the tools. Uh, use their agencies that are there to help. And this is one of the things that I'm looking at uh, through my nonprofit when I look at philanthropy. How can we get the philanthropic community really to understand what we mean by accessibility, mobility, and what we, what we need for this population? That mm. uh, still is very challenging to get foundations to understand the concept of mobility and disability and accessibility. And uh, for them not to use the term accessibility, sort of like a generic term, but really look at it, what we mean in the disability community when we mean accessibility. Yep, absolutely. And actually, uh, in my book, there's a whole chapter on just accessibility. So uh, it, the book is also called Mobility and Inclusion. Everyone can find it on, uh, on Amazon. Uh, there's a whole chapter on accessibility in various situations, whether it's, it's our built environment or it's our schools, it's our... Uh, products or services, what have you, everything needs to be accessible and it, it will benefit everyone, not only the people with disability. Exactly. So, uh, that's uh, uh, another thing I wanted to mention. You talked about uh, the equipment that are very expensive. Um, I'm not sure if you, I told you or you know, uh, I have developed Marquee Robotics to assist people with disabilities become more independent in performing activities of daily living through uh, efficient and affordable robotic platforms. And we're currently uh, going uh, in front of the investors right now, maybe in the next month or so, we're gonna go in front of the investors with our first product. And 
as I mentioned, our goal is to not only help them become more independent, uh, because in my understanding and through my research, I came to understand that independence is a big deal for people with disabilities. Independence is a big deal, period, for anybody, right? Yes, but yes. Imagine the feeling when someone can perform any, any task by themselves. Uh, and we're talking, of course, about people with disabilities. And uh, so you don't have to wait for your caregiver or your, or your sister or your mother to do something for you. So uh, that's, what, that's what we're trying to uh, you know, accomplish in the most uh, empathetic way possible. Uh, and uh, this is happening by partnering with the community of people with disabilities. So I'm not, I'm not sitting, behind, sitting behind the desk and saying, okay, this is what the people of disabilities need. No, that's not how it's going. And it shouldn't how, uh, it should not be like that. So it's a collaboration and that's, that's how I, I want the company to go forward actually. So yeah. what I'm a great segue. Yeah, I'm so pleased to hear that because one of the things that I constantly reminded people when you uh, from the concept stage throughout to the concept design execution and even after it's so important to have the true experts at the table and the true experts are the end user. Exactly. You know, so that's so important. Um, this case is the, the user being the person with a disability. Get them at the table, decide, you know, you know just I, I'm trying to remember, I remember Apple at one time when we sat in Washington, D.C., some of the telecommunications with FCC, just picking our brains in terms of what what is needing. I remember even before voice activation, sitting, uh, getting a grant to be able to work uh, through IBM and some other major corporations. What is Dragon Dictate? What is, you know, how does Dragon Dictate work? It's, it's, I was behind the scenes right from the very start testing that equipment just to make sure. And look at now we see every phone you can use uh, voice activation. Yeah. You know, you can use a, a, you know, your voice to be able to do a variety of things. And that's because people with disabilities were behind the scenes. They were the, from the very start. And now, like you said, it benefits everyone. You know, when you see closed caption the same way, it's because why is it now available on all computer on a, through Zoom or through Google or the a television? It's because the deaf community and, you know, in terms of, again, the elderly started requesting. So the elderly now benefit as a result because of the deaf community being engaged from the very start and, yeah. and so on. So, Absolutely. Cannot agree with you more, and that's that's exactly how I'm uh, how I I, I I built how we built this prototype. That's exactly how we are planning to move forward. You know, the, the idea uh, came through partnership with uh, a spinal cord injury patient, and he said, "If we have this product for someone with low motor skills and who is on a wheelchair." I think it will facilitate a lot of the things that we, we do. So that's how, how that's how we the product came to fruition, and we we are where we are at this point. Yeah, uh, I know. I was sorry to interrupt. But I was so excited when I met you when I heard about robotics. My mind just started going crazy. It's just like creativity. And I was like, oh wow, I got to talk to this guy. I really want to be right there. So I'm um, uh, really thank happy. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And uh, you know, this is not the end of it. You know, after after the show goes on, I'm still going to bug you every time. I'm like, hey, Julie, what do you think about this? It'd <laughs> be great. I love it. <laughs> love it. Uh, awesome. So you were you were consulting LCM architects on yes. their uh, project to make public schools accessible. 
Yes, uh, yes. Were you able to accomplish that? And uh, what did you put in place that wasn't game changing? Yes, that was the very start of it. Oh, gosh, that was in the early 90s. I can't remember so long ago. Wow, I'm aging myself. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a, we got the contract and I had to visit all. Imagine at that time it was over 500 schools in Chicago. And so the way there was a team of us and I had, was the one that had got had to go inside the schools. Many of them were not accessible. And uh, to be able to look at how that they were complying, number three laws, the basic, the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, and then also local laws and the and the state laws, you know, accommodate all of those and do what look at what areas uh, they were out of compliance and what and make the recommendations for remediation. And one example was I would say that the school where I went to my grammar school, which was segregated, I went to special special school. Uh, I used to be bused there, and a little yellow bus would come pick me up every single day and bring me home. And I had never ever seen the front of the school because we were always dropped off in the alley. And uh, so as a consultant here, now I'm hired by this architectural firm. And for the first time I get to go as a professional as the expert to evaluate that school. It was like, wow, it's like, here I am. It's like, I have never seen the front door. I get to go through the front door. And it's just like, well, the school, just to summarize it, the school no longer exists. Okay. So in a way it was good. It was really hard. It was emotional. But just like I said, it was emotional for me to be separated from my children, from the children in my neighborhood and uh, being separated, sort of like cast aside because of my disability. I can imagine how other children, I think I've, I still kept in touch with one of the children that was on the same yellow bus. He's a writer now and he's, gosh, he was just as happy as I was to get the school gone. Um, but, but it was, so that's what sometimes, you know, what, as children grow up, we have the power as adults and we remember very well what has happened to us and it's not out of revenge or anything like that, but this is what we, we wanted as children and it did not happen. So now we want that for other children. So that never happens to them. What, how we were uh, seen and viewed and stigmatized throughout our growing up years. That's a great point. Actually, it's, you know, someone like me would have never thought about the fact that I've never seen the school from the front, right? Because you were always dropped in the back alley or whatever. It's, it's, it's simple stuff, but it makes an impact on someone. Yes. Right? So yes. that's awesome. Um, and, uh, you know, you've been working on that since the late 90s. Of, Yes. Right. That's what you said. Yes. Um, and till this day, unfortunately, we have schools that are still not accessible. I mean, we're maybe much, much further along, but still, like I was talking to uh, another PE um, teacher the other day that who, who deals with uh, people with disabilities uh, or children with disabilities, I should say. And he was trying to, um, you know, brainstorm with me on how to make his sessions and his school more accessible and more, uh, you know, available for children with disabilities. And I'm like, it's, you know, it saddens me that we are in 2021 and 
there are still we, we are we still didn't accomplish or we're still we're still talking about this issue this issue could have been gone long ago you know it's not it's, it's not that hard to make schools accessible you know no. so no. anyway it's very very challenging very challenging and uh even the, the mindset, we'll go talk about mindset earlier, just even the educators, the teachers, mm-hmm. you know, the continuing use the, the derogatory language or labels um, without realizing, you know, about how, how painful some of that yes. speaking yeah. is uh, to a child. You know? Well, that's why people like you and I are here to, to change that uh, perception stigma and uh, the... Um, Basically, all that all that surrounds those two words. Um, for sure, for sure. You were also a principal player in installing kayak and canoe at uh, Marquette Park. Yes. Uh, like user-friendly for the uh, disabled. Yes. So how did you accomplish that? And uh, what, was the, what was the reaction from the public, whether they were, you know, whether the community of people with disabilities and just yeah. you know, public? Again, coming here to this area, I thought, well, I come to Northwest Indiana, I'm going to rest now, maybe get back into my fashion somehow, or, you know, just creating, maybe in the creative mindset. But then I learned a lot, so many opportunities here from uh, trails, a lot of the trails, gardening, and the waterways, amazing waterways. And I would hear people, oh, we're going to go canoe, kayaking. It's like, hmm, I've never tried that. It's like, what is that? How, where, how? I've never, it's never been offered to me. And I had gotten an invitation from a neighboring uh, city and that they were having this installation of a, 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 what they call ADA uh, a launch, panel launch. I was like, I gotta go see this. I got the invite, and, but of course it's usual. I show up and who is going to cut the, do the ribbon cutting of this amazing opportunity. Uh, there was no one, I look around, it's like, this is supposedly for people with disabilities as well. You know, this is why they installed it, but I don't see a single person that uses a mobility device. So of course I got volunteered. It's like, okay, they see my chairing. It's like, sure, I'll do it. You know, I'll be the first thing. I'll be sort of like, I'll allow myself to be used in such manner because we got to show the world that we can yeah, do it. Absolutely. You know, So I got into this kayak and it was, I was afraid of water because I guess how often do I get that opportunity? You know, don't know how to swim. And uh, so I got in there, did the ribbon cutting across the river. But then I said, why not in my community? I have a lagoon, the Calumet Lagoon. There's the mouth of the great uh, Lake Michigan, the great Lake Michigan, and so on. So it's like, I want this. How much? So again, I started really asking the questions. You know, I can do this. I know that my city doesn't have, the first thing they'll say is, oh, we don't have the budget. I said, well, I went to part the local government and I said, don't worry about it. I'll figure it out. I'll raise the funds, you know, we'll do it. But this, we must have this. And so sure enough, six months later, we got our own in our community. Now Northwest Indiana is known throughout the, it's not only for Northwest Indiana, but throughout the world that we have the most accessible kayak uh, paddle launches in the world. So we have about 10 now 
uh, ten accessible uh, paddle launches, and uh, and we started summer uh, let's say summer uh, uh, sunset sunset paddles uh, once a week for the community. So it wasn't just now for for people with disabilities; it was for for everyone. And so many people were enjoying because now they saw that they did not have to get their feet wet or get in the mud, get in the water to to get into their their device for for paddle. But they had this accessible uh, paddle launch, and we also had started special training for the blind because that again you know people think it's like how is a blind person why they can't see you know but that's the, again we had especially to start the training because again if they can't see they need to understand the identification before and overcome their fears and now it's like they're the first one from fear now it's like the first one says we're not going to have paddle again you know so i'm going to do that here this summer i said okay well you know it was like yes we're going to have it so i started up uh, again for the summer so now it's yeah, it's now it's everywhere. And just not too long ago, I was invited to uh, for the town of Elkhart, the city of Elkhart, where we did a ribbon cutting for two pedal launches in that city. So uh, it, was, was it was great. It was really yeah. wonderful. Yeah, I so love now the outdoors. Outdoors recreation is like I never, ever thought of that for myself. And here I am now being the expert on outdoor recreation for people with disabilities. <laughs> that is awesome. That is awesome. And, you know, I, you know, I would love to collaborate with you on any of these projects because it, it really makes it really makes a huge impact on uh, on people's lives. But uh, I'm really interested and curious in knowing how uh, how was that accomplished? Like, let's say the canoeing, for example, how did how did people get on it? Yeah, you know, was there was there a designated canoeer, if you will, or uh, how, how did that work? For for whom for the blind or for for just in general in general, in general yeah yes no what I connected well here started off by again seeking the expert who knows about paddling so we there was one organization called the Northwest Indiana Paddling Association contacted them I said I don't know anything about paddle but you tell me what do we need and so on it's like just the basic questions uh, how do we get started how much do, do you think do we have a company that uh, we can work with that you trust and then the equipment itself you know how will you work with us uh, at least for the first you know summer you know to see until we get something established and sure enough every every Thursday they would bring the kayaks a group until now we got the uh, Indiana Dunes National Park uh, engaged, involved in working with us because they saw our action and our willingness and our desire and how the community had come together. And they said, no, we'll, we'll partner with you. And now it's like, I'm no longer, I've stepped back. And I was like, hey, that's your job now. <laughs> you know, so, so now the rangers, you know, they are, the park rangers are, are engaged. They, they got some kayaks donated, some canoes donated. And so, and they purchased some. And so now it's part of the community. It's part of the Crestor region, pretty much that they uh, have the, the, the paddle launches as well as the, as the, the equipment necessary. And so it's like, come to Northwest Indiana. <laughs> so. That's amazing. That's, you know, more power to you. That's great work. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so you sit on the boards of several organizations uh, to provide accessibility resources and training. Uh, what, in your opinion, is the most challenging in establishing accessibility? And what have we established so far? And what, what do we still, still need to work on? Well, what of course is the, as we say, it's always funding to start to be able to to get the funds needed. But 
along the way, individuals, individual donors make such a huge, huge difference. Um, I think that one of the things that I learned is that we cannot depend on, again on government. All these projects that we worked on, all these battle launches that we've installed have been with uh, private uh, uh, dollars, um, individual donors, as well as foundation dollars. Um, so that's that's the primary source uh, of, of the funding. And so one of the things that typically the mindset of people is just, oh, we get the city will pay for it or the local town will pay for it. Like, no, they just have X number of numbers of dollars in just a budget. The rest is really, what else can we do with GoFundMe or with uh, uh, sellings here and there, having different kinds of events. And that's pretty much it. So getting the funds and the rest, I think, uh, Every, the, the local governments for us was not difficult working with as long as we brought the money to the table. And of course, we never turned our money to them, for sure. So we, it's through the nonprofit organizations that we always make sure that, it's, that, that those dollars are there and they, that the people get to see. And also recognition. One of the things that I really learned a lot was that people, regardless of what amount of dollars they give, whether it's a dollar or five dollars, ten dollars, they do want that recognition. They, 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 people crave for that, for some form of acknowledgement. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important that we have, we forget sometimes to, that people want to be recognized, even though they may say, no, 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 no. It, it's, uh, everybody wants to have their ego strokes from time to time. <laughs> that, is, that is true, yes. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. So uh, that's that's great. I mean, that's uh, you know that's our time together for for today. Uh, I want, it, it went really fast. I really enjoyed enjoyed my time with you. Um, thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Zuli. It was a pleasure having you with us today. Thank you. Um, thank you so much. <laughs> of course, you know I cannot thank you enough. Thank you. Thank you for everyone for tuning in. Remember, if an environment is accessible, usable, convenient, and a pleasure to use, everyone benefits. So let's make life accessible for all. I'm Harut Markarian, and I will see you next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>